We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithanee.org.au. Father, speak. Your servants are listening this morning. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how well do you know yourself? I mean, really know yourself. One of the Psalms I think I love not to like is Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. It's like you're saying, look, God, just do a full body scan, please. Heart, head. And at the end of it, just can point out anything in there that just needs to be moved on, need to be tweaked. Like if we did a full body scan every week, it'd be like that, that. Search me and know me, because he's the only one really that knows all those hidden places in us, those places in us that are moulded and shaped by the culture we're in, by the opinion of others that has made us different to who He decided and designed us to be. Doesn't take very long in this world and we get shaped and moulded into something quite different to what He planned us to be in the first place. Quite different from our Adam and Eve persona we're supposed to be, character that we're supposed to be. Sometimes we tend to be like chameleons. We shift and we change depending on the environment and the people that we're with. And we fake, we become pretenders. You know how you change colours depending on who you're talking to? We change characters depending on the crowd we're with. We change opinions depending on who we're talking with. We tend to be shaped and moulded by our culture and the opinions of others and that squeezes us into a mould and then we go search me and know me and God says, well, that's not who I designed you to be. I designed you to be that person. But you will let those things dictate who you've become. But there's always obstacles in being and living out who we really are. There are reasons why we're good at faking and we're good at pretending. Well, we're good at being a second-rate somebody else rather than an amazing us. And I think one of the great examples for me of a person in Scripture who stayed the course, although he wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, in this story, he stayed the course on who he believed God had created him to be. He wasn't shaped and moulded by the opinion and the culture around him. He said, I know God who you made me to be. I want to stay true to And this is it. And that's the story of David when he was confronting Goliath. Now I know, fast forward down the track a little bit, he kind of did a few little furfies, but I think he had it right at least here. And then he ended up being shaped and moulded a bit down the track. First Samuel chapter 17, there's a fair bit of Scripture. Hang in there with me because it's going to paint the picture of what I'm getting at. Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Socah and Ezekah. Saul in the, don't you like how a preacher says those words like he knows how to pronounce them? 
Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites the other, with the valley between them. And Goliath, he's a giant man, nine feet tall. He's built like a brick outhouse. He comes out and he taunts Israel. This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight each other. Uh, Hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, the king, and all the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. Uh, This guy, this Goliath is a warrior's worst nightmare. And Israel has some of the most courageous and battle-worn warriors there were in any nation. Yet Goliath was so imposing when Israel came out every day, twice a day for 40 days, that's 80 times. When they came out 80 times in a row and Goliath teases Israel from across the valley, they're so shaken and scared by it that they run off in fear. Not one of them, not one of these warriors thinks that they are capable with their experience and with God's power can take on this nine feet warrior. They're just so full of fear. And then David steps up. His dad asks him to take some food up to the boys on the front line. And you can imagine he's with his sheep. I imagine in my head, if it was modern day, you could probably hear the artillery in the distance. That's how maybe how close you know, David was to the front line that he was to take the lunch up to the boy. So he's probably hearing, you know, the war cry. He takes his lunch up to his brothers and it goes like this in verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out at his battle position, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. Well, David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers, Oh, he asked his brothers how they were. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. And then whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what's going to be done for the guy who kills this guy, removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then David is hit with his first obstacle in being who God had actually created him to be. Verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and he asked him, why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So David's the youngest of eight boys. I don't know if there's any sisters. There we go. We had seven brothers and his dad's not well. His dad sent him up to take the little lunch up to the boys on the front line. And it was culturally normal for the oldest brother then to start taking over from the dad when the dad was ending the year of his life. So Eliab, as the oldest brother, comes out to David and says, you little twerp, what are you doing up here? Leaving those few sheep down there. You come to watch the battle. I I know you. You're so full of yourself. You're so conceited, so egotistical. I know your type. You should go home back to the sheep, you little rat bag. Now, I have no doubt that Eliab, his oldest brother, was probably embarrassed 
by David's line of questioning. Who's going to take this guy on? Like seriously, anybody? Anybody? Brothers, are you going to take him on? Like someone's got to, you know when your little brother or sister looks at you and says, oh, you're wuss. I can take him. I can take him. I mean, everything in you as an older sibling just fires up, right? Go back to your sheep, you little twerp. Well, that's what's happening here is I think David's questioning is unearthing the dysfunction of Eliab, his fear. The fact that he hasn't got the courage to take on Goliath. You're annoying. You can't do that. You're hopeless. Get back to the sheep. And here's, I think, the obstacle that some of us face when we're trying to step out and be everything that God's called us to be and who He's called us to be is family members who want to put you back in your box. Have you ever met a family member when you try and step out and be something else rather than just the submissive you, you know, rather than just the compliant you, rather than just the you who doesn't stand up for yourself, rather than you, the you who uh, you know, is, is in addiction or in cycles of uh, dysfunctional conflict, rather than continue on that, you decide the call, God's calling you, He searched you, He knows you, He's calling you out of that into something else. And a family member says, you can't do that. You're not strong enough to do that. Why would you do that? It's far better here. You shouldn't be doing that. I think for me, when I think of um, a family member trying to put me in my box, and I hope my dad's not watching. (laughs) But I remember when I went to Canada, you know, I was there for two and a half, three years. I've shared this before, not once did my dad call me in three years. And prior to going into Canada, my dad was my greatest cheer person. You know, when I was serving in the church down in Sydney, one of the churches, he'd always call me out. How's it going, son? And I could just hear the pride through the phone. He's wanting to know what I'm doing, what ministries we work on, how's the church growing? And then I fly overseas to work in a church and not a word. No phone calls. And even when I call him and he's on the phone, it's like, it's like 45 seconds, we're out. And it wasn't until I got back home, and I don't know if I heard it from him or heard it from somebody or mum, I can't remember. He disapproved of me going because he didn't feel that's where God had called me. And he didn't try and put me back in the box with his words. He tried to put me back in his box by silence. You can't do that. You shouldn't be going there. That's not the right decision. But I knew everything in me, it was the right decision. It was where God was calling us. It was the place to be. It was who God designed me to be in that moment. Do you have anyone in your life right now trying to squeeze you back in a box? Put you back where you should be. Less than who you should be. Because you stepping out in courage is unearthing in them some inadequacies in them. It's embarrassing them. It's ruffling their feathers. It's making them feel awkward. It's more about them than it is about you. Well, one challenge we face as we step into who God's called us to be is family members that want to put us back in the box. 
But you need to be self-aware. You need to know who you are in order to tackle that stuff head on. But there's another one. It's not just family members. David wasn't gonna allow his brothers to put him back into that box. He wasn't gonna listen to those lies. He was gonna move through that obstacle. But the next obstacle that David comes in contact with is mentors and people of influence in your world who wanna put you back in your box unknowingly. Listen to this. This is in verse, uh, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, well, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior all his life. So catch this. I don't know, there's 133 odd thousand men, I think, maybe. Oh, I can't remember actually. There's other 100,000, 300,000 warriors. There's a lot. And none of those warriors are gonna go out to fight. Suddenly this little pipsqueak David says, I'll do it, count me in, I'll do it, I'll do it. So the rumour goes around Israel that David's gonna take on Goliath. Well, the king hears about this one little guy after 40 days, he's gonna take him on. So the king invites David up to his tent. Now you can imagine, imagine you're a young punk. You're going up to the king's tent who knows that you're king, keen to take on the giant. You just think you're going, oh man, this is gonna be awesome. The king's gonna be so proud of me. He's gonna pat me on the back. He's gonna just give you a huge hug and say, you go boy, I'm right behind you. Like oh, you're so courageous, you're so brave. Good on you, son, good on you. He gets up there and King Saul says, you can't do it. You're too small. You're just a boy. Now for King Saul, I must confess, I mean, he's just, uh, again, another warrior who's lived through many wars and he, he's just speaking matter-of-factly like a young boy like you usually gets killed on the battlefield. Like you, you can't do it. As I look through eyes of flesh, you can't do it, mate. I'm really sorry. I'm just trying to be protecting you. I'm just trying to make sure you get back to your dad so you can look after him and the sheep. If you go out there, you're gonna be like worm food. You can't do it. Have you ever had a mentor or person in your world of influence who you respected and honour speak that over you? Well, I remember, you know, um, you've all heard that Bill Hybels, my fan, uh, Craig Rochelle, huge fan, uh, through, you know, my beginning of ministry, I'd always listen to as many messages of those guys, listen to their, their podcast. And I remember the first conference I went to of Bill and I was just in awe of this man. Like, it's just, just give me whatever you can. I want to be you. I, in fact, I want to lead your church. I know it's 20,000, but one day I'll lead your church. So that's how, you know, how much courage I had to be what he was. I remember sitting in another conference about five years later and he's rattling off all those leadership qualities that he thinks describes a leader. And I go, one, yeah, tick, two, yep, tick, three. No, but that's okay. Two out of three, not good. Four, no. Okay, two out of four, that's not too bad. Uh, five, yes, six, seven, no. And by the end of the 10 tick list, I've got about five. And this is my mentor. This is the leader who I respect speaking into my world. And he's saying, this is the qualities of a leader. I'm going, I haven't got them. And I remember walking out of that conference feeling so discouraged that maybe I wasn't built for leadership. Maybe Bill's right. 
Maybe I'm just a shepherd boy who's got not much to offer. I need to go back and just take care of the sheep. Well, obviously, a few decades down the track, I realized that Bill, oh, he didn't search my heart. And Bill didn't know my gifts. And Bill hadn't spoken to God on my behalf. And Bill didn't sit with me over a coffee and ask my heart and my intentions and what God's been saying to me and what God's doing in me. How could Bill possibly know what God was calling me to? And there comes a point with mentors and people of influence in your life that you respect, who speak stuff over your life, where you can say, thank you so much, but I respectfully disagree. That's not who I am. That's not what God's called me to be. Now, I don't do that often because I make a habit of getting people that I really respect who want to know me in my life, speak into my life. But every now and then, all of us get someone who love us or they might speak a prophetic word over us, you know, or they, or they might speak something into us and you go, how does not sit right with what God's doing in me right now? I feel like I'm gonna be put back in a box if I follow that. So family can make you less than who God's calling you to be. And a mentor or people of influence can make you less than who God's calling you to be. But there's one more. You gotta give credit to David. He's pushed through the first. He's pushed through the second. But there's one more obstacle for him to be everything God's calling him to be in verse 42. He looked David over, that's Goliath. Goliath looks David over, saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you could come out with me with sticks? Are you kidding me? And he cursed David by his gods. Come here, you little rat bag. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you a flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Here's David in a field by himself with nine foot Goliath over the other side of the valley with his armor bearer. And from a distance, Goliath starts yelling at David intimidating David. Oh, you little mongrel. I'm gonna chop your head off, feed it to the worms. Come any closer, go home, go on, get out of here. And you would think that David would have every right to turn on his heels, look at his sling and say, you know what? You're right. Who am I kidding? Like, how am I gonna do this with a sling and five little stones? And none of those fellas behind me, not one of them with all their swords and all their army uh, armor is going to, willing to take this guy on. I should seriously pack my bags and go back to dad. But when you step out and you let go of all that past and you let go of all that stuff that's holding you back, and you courageously step out in who God's called you to be, there are gonna be other people, not family, not mentors, but there's just people around you who are in your world and in your life who are gonna get angry at you. And they're gonna get sad at you. And they're gonna speak things over you because as you step out, it starts to ruffle their world. It starts to make difficult things for them because they're gonna have to start working on themselves because you're gonna support their bad habits anymore. You're not gonna stay the, the person who encourages 
the bad life choices they're making. No, no, you're gonna step up and be something different. And they're finding that hard and they're finding that challenge because not only are you stepping out of the box, you're forcing them to step out of the box and they don't want to. It feels way more comfortable when you're both in the box together. When you're both failing together, that's where it feels comfortable. Don't be surprised as you step out, someone's gonna try and push you. Don't be surprised if Satan starts to say, you can't, you won't, you dare, you're not good enough, you haven't got what it takes. Get back in your box, AB. When you think about it, there's a lot against us, isn't it? When we're trying to be who God's called us to be. Loving, well-meaning family members, Loving, well-meaning mentors and people of influence. And sometimes not so loving, well-meaning people in our spheres of influence who feel uncomfortable. As you reflect in your world right now, where are you pretending? Where are you faking it? Where are you not being real to who God's called you to be? Last week I talked about joy and peace. The only way you experience the life that God designed you to have is when you stop pretending, you stop faking, you stop being a second-rate sword wielder somewhere else and you be a first-rate sling swinger. Whatever it is. And some people won't like it. Some people won't like you. Some people will get disgruntled and angry at you as a first-rate swing slinger. But if you don't allow those opinions and culture to shape you, you will actually live the God life that He designed for you. And that's where freedom is. And that's where peace is. And that's where joy is. And isn't that what we want? Absolutely. So I wanna encourage you, church, Have the courage to stand before God and pray the prayer of 139. Search me and know me. God, where am I pretending and faking it? Where am I being a second-rate somebody else? Reveal it. Put it on the table. Help me see it. And then help me be courageous enough not to be it anymore. I'm tired of being a second-rate somebody else. I want to be a first-rate me. So of the 300 people odd who are here this morning, Father, that's what I pray. I pray that you help us be first-rate us. Reveal our brokenness, reveal our sin our dysfunction. As we spend time with you, speak to us, lead us and guide us. And then give us the courage we need to take on the obstacles of life. That we might stand tall and bold and free. We ask it because you're in charge. Amen.